Today I want to talk about why live a good life. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, you know that if you do something wrong, you can ask forgiveness and God will forgive you. So why live a good life? Some people who don't believe in God, make no claim to follow Christ, are doing quite well. So if they're doing as well as we are, why live a good life? You say, well, I, I want to live a good life for my family. I can't just go crazy. I have to live a good life for my, my mate or my children. Okay. You say, well, I want to live a good life for the sake of my city and my country. Well, that makes sense. You can't have everybody in a country going their own way, doing whatever they want. The, the country will crumble. You say, I live a good life for my own good. I've lived long enough to learn that I do better when I'm living good than when I'm doing all kinds of stupid things. But none of these are the primary reason the Bible says you should live a good life. So again, why live a good life? Teenager, if you're too good at school, other kids will mock you. So why live a good life? Single person? Some people will tell you that unless you loosen your morals, you'll never catch a guy or a girl. So why live a good life? Turn to the New Testament book of Titus. If you want to use one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 1200. Uh, this is the second in a series of messages called From Grace to Good. Uh, Paul sends uh, this letter to a disciple uh, named Titus who is watching over the churches on the island of Crete. He states his theme in the very first verse. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He says our faith should lead to godliness. It should lead to living a good life. Now, the key words in this short letter are kalon ergon, two Greek words that mean good works or good deeds. And he uses it six times in this short 46-verse letter. Followers of Jesus are to live good lives. But why? Why live a good life? There are two reasons I want to share. The Apostle Paul will answer this question. But first, he wants to make a point about living good lives first. First, he says we are all to live good lives. And then he identifies six groups of people. One, he speaks to older men. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. The older men are to be temperate, not just in their alcohol consumption, but in their entire life. Now, these three, first three characteristics he shares are True for all men. You don't have to be a follower of Christ to realize you want to have these three characteristics. You're to be temperate. Practice moderation. Teach the older men. Let's go on. To be temperate, worthy of respect. Now, the Greek word is semnos, which means worthy of respect or seriousness of purpose. Older men should have a seriousness of purpose. You've lived some years. 
You know that this life is temporary and the eternal one comes after we die. You know what's at stake. Paul writes in another letter, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. If anybody understands this, it should be older men. If you play a sport or have played a sport, you know that the time to compete at a high level is limited. You don't have forever. We don't want to waste our time on worthless pursuits. We want to invest our time wisely in things that matter. You say, what are things that matter? Well, anything that's not selfish, just for yourself, but to help and serve and reach other people is something that matters. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You have noticed that our days are evil. Satan is acting like a cornered wolf, striking out everywhere. He knows that his days are limited. So he's doing everything he can to wreak havoc in this world. But do you think our days are evil? They were no worse than the days the Apostle Paul faced. Our country was founded on Christian principles. Whether you're a Christian or not, you have the benefit of living in a country that once believed in right and wrong. We believe that slavery is wrong. We believe that mistreating women is wrong. We believe that hurting children is wrong. We believe that things ought to be fair. But the first century had none of that. They worshipped Greek and Roman gods just to placate them. Then they lived their lives any way they wanted to. They didn't have a belief in wrong, right and wrong to put boundaries around their lives. If a child was born mentally or physically impaired, they just set them down by the river and forgot about them. Let them die. Nobody cared. The Roman and Greek gods certainly didn't care. If you can believe it, their days were probably more evil than ours. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. <coughs> the Greek word is sophronis, which means self-controlled. Men ought to be masters of themselves. Teach their older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Now, the Apostle Paul is famous for this trilogy, faith, love, and hope. Here, he substitutes endurance for hope. But endurance is really a synonym for hope. You endure because you have hope. Now, these last three qualities are more uniquely Christian. Next, he addresses older women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Older women are to have holy behavior. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers. 
They're not to gossip about other, about other people behind their backs or in front of them. Now, in our day, if you make an accusation against somebody, with social media, people can be accused, tried, and convicted in public opinion. Then if you pull it back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I I was wrong about that. It's too late. Their lives are already ruined. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Apparently, older women in Crete, the likelihood of excess... (coughs) was greater. He uses the Greek word dedulomenos, which means enslaved. Dulos means slave. So he's talking about serious addiction, alcoholism. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach What is good? Next, he addresses younger women. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. This is one of the unique contributions the church has to offer. Older women can help younger women, not as busy bodies, but as humble advisors. Many younger women who are followers of Christ could benefit from the wisdom of an older woman on how to navigate marriage and raising children. In our day, when mothers are encouraged to put a career ahead of family, or they feel like they have to have a career just to survive financially, the perspective of an older woman can be invaluable. So the way for younger women to... uh, learn from older women. You can't expect an older woman to come to you and offer advice, but if you go to someone you like or admire and ask questions, you'd be surprised how much they're willing to share with you. Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to to their husbands. Earlier this summer, I talked about uh, Paul's text where he says, wives are to respect their husbands and husbands are to love their wives. Why the difference? Apparently, it's because women need to be loved more and men need to be respected more. That's what Paul is talking about here. Wives are to respect their husbands. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. So the purpose of younger women living good lives is for an important religious purpose. Remember now, when Jesus died on the cross, all people became Equal or became obvious that all people were equal. Men are equal with women. Slaves are equal with slave owners. Black and white are equal. We all stand as sinners before the cross of Christ. So it's possible that some women in Crete, emancipated emancipated by the gospel, were using their newfound liberty in ways that were not accepted in their culture and was doing harm 
for the cause of Christ. So next he talks to young men. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. The younger men need to uh, practice self-mastery. They need constant moral reminders. I believe many young men could benefit from siding up to an older man. The the deal's the same thing. No older man is going to come and talk to you, you know, offer you advice, but if you go to them, you'd be surprised at how much they know. Next, he talks to pastors. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Pastors are to do what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So pastor learns that unless unless they have lives that are good, they lose their uh, their message, uh, their integrity to their speaking. The last group he addresses are slaves. Teach the slaves to be subject to their master in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they may make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Now, one of the series I worked on uh, while I was gone this summer was a series called Racism, Slavery, and the Bible. Now, part of me is, you know, scared about doing that series. There's so many landmines I could step on. So I came to Carrie and Andrea, and I said, you know, what do you think? Should I do this series? And they said, well, everything today is about racism. You might as well. And uh, they offered that they could help me. So the three of us are going to kind of work together on that one. I'm excited about that. Now, critics say the Bible supports slavery. It does not. Jesus set in motion, through his death on the cross, the emancipation of all slaves. Jesus and the Bible have more to do with freeing slaves than any other movement this world has ever seen. The Apostle Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now notice where this is written. Galatians. That is the first book written in the New Testament. It came before the four Gospels. Apostle Paul wrote it, probably 47 A.D. So this was a base belief of the New Testament church, that slaves and slaveholders are equal. Slaves are emancipated. So don't tell me the Bible supports slavery. It does not. Our journals uh, last week, this is our old journal, this is our new one, but uh, very brilliant the way they wrote it, saying that slaves and slave owners worship together in the church. That was huge. So Paul, knowing that slaves are emancipated and free, says, teach the slaves to be better workers. 
in their new liberty, don't have them become worse workers, better workers, so that they might reach their employers for Christ as well. So now we come to our question. Why live a good life? Paul has just finished telling older men, older women, younger men, younger women, pastors and slaves to live good lives. But why? Why live a good life? Paul shares two reasons. The first, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Whenever you see the word for in the Bible, you have to look back what was said before because it's connected. Well, he's just told older men, older women, younger women, younger men, pastors and slaves to live good lives. Why? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. The scope of Christ's death is for all people. It doesn't mean all people are saved. You have to put your faith in Christ. Paul's call for us to live good lives is anchored in the gospel. All Paul's teaching about living good lives in this short letter rides on two textual axles. The one we just read right here and one we're going to read next week in chapter 3. Remove the axles from your car. I don't care how good your car looks. You will have to tow it to get it anywhere. Remove the anchor from your boat and your boat will drift where you do not want it to go. We don't live a good life to earn our way into heaven. We don't live a good life so we'll have plenty to report on to Jesus when we stand before him someday. Our motivation is totally different. It's because the grace of God has appeared. The incarnate God, Jesus Christ, came into the world and died on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven and restored to a relationship with God. Anything good we do is grounded on Jesus. God's grace appeared in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. If we ask people to live good lives and it's not anchored in God sending Christ, it can appear like finger wagging at bad behavior. When we ask older men and older women and younger women and younger men and pastors and slaves to live a certain way, but we do not answer the question, why should we live a good life? We can turn it into naked law. The why is God's grace. God's grace is the motivation for all good living. Sometime back, I did something stupid, said something insensitive, and Jory was upset. I said, please forgive me. She says, no, you're not really sorry. So I said, uh, said it again, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, I'm pleading at this point. So finally she says, okay, I'll forgive you, but you don't deserve it. Now, I don't think Jory put a lot of thought into her answer, uh, but she was essentially speaking about the essence of grace. We receive forgiveness 
even though we don't deserve it. We receive salvation without deserving it. Now, since I'm talking about grace and not sin, I won't bother with giving you the details about the bad thing I did and the insensitive things I said to Jory. You probably wouldn't be interested anyway. Yeah. What stands out to me about Jory's statement is her penetrating insight into forgiveness. It's blatantly unfair. When you forgive somebody, they don't deserve it. Grace means people get what they don't deserve. We are so grateful to God for His grace. We want to live a life that pleases Him. We are so thankful. We want to live a life that attracts other people to Jesus. So here's the first reason. We live good lives not to earn salvation, but out of gratefulness for God offering us salvation through Christ's death. That recognition of God's grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Thankfulness to Jesus for dying for us is the reason we live good lives. The reason we say no to worldly passions and ungodliness is because we are so grateful to Jesus for dying for us. Paul suggests the second reason we live good lives. The next verses, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Here's the second reason we live good lives. We live good lives because we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We don't give up because we believe Jesus is coming. We don't lose hope in the face of the chaos in our country because we know that when he comes he will provide salvation to all who put their faith in him and he will right all wrongs we live good lives in light of jesus second appearing we live good lives because when he comes we don't want to be embarrassed we want to be able to stand tall before him so why live a good life God's grace is the motivation for all good deeds. Out of thankfulness for God, sending His Son into the world to pay the penalty for our sins, we want to live good lives. We don't want to waste His death. Out of gratefulness for God's grace, we want to live a life that pleases Him and attracts other people to Him. If you're not particularly interested in Jesus but you're intrigued about his death for all sins, why don't you ask him this week to show you if Jesus really died for your sins? If you're curious about Christ, but have never expressed gratefulness to God for sending his son, you can thank him right now as we pray and ask him to forgive your sins and become your Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for inspiring this letter through the Apostle Paul to Titus and now to us, where we see that we are to live good lives. And the reason is because we're grateful for your mercy to us. If you want to tell God that right now in prayer, I'd like to suggest you do that. Tell him you want to live a good life this week. And now you've got all the motivation you need because you're so thankful to him for sending his son to die for you. And if you've never given your life to Christ, ask him to forgive your sins. Do that right now as we pray. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for coming into the world, seeing us in our chaos and sin and sending your son to take our punishment for us on his shoulders so that we could get what we don't deserve, forgiveness and a restored relationship with you and hope, peace and love. In Jesus' name we pray.